Welcome to Dynasty Theory, your source for everything Dynasty fantasy football, with your host, John Bauer. I'm looking to sell everybody price dependent. Dan LaMagna. Too much dysfunction in Cleveland. And Mitch Sorensen. Well, it's hard to compete with excellence. Welcome back to another episode of Dynasty Theory, a proud member of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Bauer. You can find me on Twitter at The Bauer Club. And fresh off of his one-day break, Dan LaMagna is back, and that's at FF Coach Dan on Twitter. What's going on, Dan? Man, first show I've, I've ever missed of Dynasty Theory. And, and like the guilt I had and remorse I felt yesterday was killing me. But I'm extra fresh, and I think I need to be tonight as we have an awesome guest. So I'm wasting no time, JB. Keep us going. You should have heard Mitch. He said that was our best episode yet, and it's because Dan wasn't there. I kid, of course. But then we're also joined by Mitch Sorensen. That's at DinoMC on Twitter. What's going on, Mitch? What's going on, everybody? Excited to get the show started off? Yeah, we're not going to waste any time. As you can see, the folks that are watching live on YouTube and Twitter, we have a very special guest, and he's even joining us. He's, he's in a hotel. He's living that hotel life tonight from ESPN. None other than Field Yates, and that's at Field Yates on Twitter. What's going on, Field? Guys, I appreciate you having me on. I'm a little behind the scenes. As you mentioned, I am at a hotel here in Bristol. Lovely accommodations. A little bit awkward to be in a hotel right now, but feeling safe. And certainly they've done an excellent job to keep everybody who is staying at the hotel as safe as possible. But not only that, I am at a hotel in low definition because as we found out <laughs> in the stream prior to the show, um, I think we're good. We're going to keep it this way. We're going to have some fun. Our listeners, if you notice a little bit of a lag, you know what? It's Field Yates. You're going to deal with it. So as we saw today, there were <laughs> a fault. few high-profile opt-outs. And Field, I sent you revised show notes earlier today, and you said, listen, John, I'm going to deal with whatever you throw at me. So to start the show, I want to talk about Nate Solder because Mitch and I, Dan, eh, we're very high on Daniel Jones. How is this going to impact the rest of that offense? I actually think that this is, from a purely football standpoint, sort of a net neutral move. Uh, so Nate Solder is one of the great people in football, and I know that people don't really uh, follow fantasy football to um, quantify character of players. But Nate Solder, it's worth noting, is one of the most respected players in the NFL, and he opted out because of his son and the many complicated health issues that he has dealt with during his early life and fought bravely through. And Nate Solder is also a player that I know there's some Giants fans that, from a pure economic standpoint, are sometimes you know frustrated by. He's making a ton of money at the time of signing with the Giants. It was the richest contract ever for an offensive tackle. I believe it was four years, six uh, and sixty-two million dollars, so fifteen point five million dollars per season. Well, they drafted a player fourth overall and Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, who a left tackle throughout college, a guy's going to be a long time left tackle. So I think that as it pertains to Daniel Jones, who I'm with you, I'm excited about Daniel Jones as well. I think Daniel Jones, his fantasy value doesn't really take any sort of noticeable dip based off of this Nate Solder news. I still love the upside, both as a runner uh, and I, I know that as a passer, it's sort of obvious why you'd like that as well. But he did not qualify in terms of number of carries needed. But if he had second leading rusher in terms of yards per attempt last season, 5.2 yards per carry, which would be only behind Lamar Jackson. And it's almost like we need to just remove Lamar Jackson from 2019 categories because he was so far off the charts. Everybody else just seems sort of ordinary. 
Now, is there any concern? And based on what you've already provided, I'm, I think the answer is no. But we just want to ask the questions. Any concern here for Saquon Barkley? You know, he he didn't have a fantastic 2019 considering what we thought he was going to achieve. But how do we think he bounces back, especially with this Nate Solder news? Yeah, I, I'm sort of nonplussed by what it means for Saquon Barkley's value, too. I've, everybody sort of has a, a, a Christian McCaffrey, and then you can decide running backs ranking at the top of their tiers. I think there's a pretty easy case for Saquon Barkley at number two. You mentioned he wasn't quite what people hoped for last year. Um, and it's rarely my preference to look at the numbers in aggregate. But if you do look at a season-long point total and points per game and, uh, you know, in terms of where he stacked up against other running backs, this wasn't like a catastrophic 2019 season. The injury obviously limited him. And then the lack of touchdowns, which, as you guys all know, that's probably the hardest touch, uh, statistic to repeat over and over and expect to have uh, the same level of efficiency over and over from season to season was a little bit down last year, but I'm pretty bullish on Saquon this season. Still a guy that, you know, as optimistically as we were speaking about uh, Christian McCaffrey and as reverentially as we are about Christian McCaffrey this year, it's kind of the same tenor we had about Saquon Barkley about a year ago. At Mitch, I think we should feel pretty good then because when I first saw this news today, I, I messaged you and I was like, ah, you know, Nate Solder, Daniel Jones, but I think we should still feel pretty confident in him. If Field Yates says it, I think we should be okay here. Yeah, the funny thing is, like I had a tweet earlier today saying, I think Daniel Jones, you know, we're dynasty theory, so we talk about the dynasty aspect of it, is he is the next quarterback in that, you know, mid-15, 16 quarterback territory that could jump up into the top six or seven next year with his rushing upside. Everything that's already happening to Kyler Murray in dynasty, I could see the exact same thing happening with Daniel Jones. And I'm not sure if, Phil, do you play a lot of dynasty or not? I was just wondering how you feel about that. Yeah, he's been so, I think almost, um, in speaking of dynasty leagues, it's almost like the player that, is, to your point, sort of like who is the trendy sleeper or breakout player for 2020 can sort of portend who's going to be a guy that you believe in for dynasty, dynasty long-term. And I think the same way about Daniel Jones. And, uh, you know, he's, what, 22 years old, 23 years old, right? So you're getting him at the apex of his football sort of physical capabilities. And, Last year, 24 passing touchdowns, second most by a rookie quarterback ever, ever. And you're right. So there's sort of this tier, and I use established a little bit liberally because someone like Kyler Murray may be considered established in the eyes of those who play Dynasty, but he's still one year into his NFL career. But there's this tier of guys that are young and established um, that maybe does not right now include Daniel Jones frequently, but I think it has a great chance to for a few reasons the skills set himself and how about the weapons around him and a lot of these guys are young there's a chance that these are the players that he is throwing to for much of his uh you know sort of the peak of his career whether it's Saquon whether it's Evan Ingram whether it's Sterling Shepard last season they had zero snaps zero with Daniel Jones Saquon Barkley Evan Ingram Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate on the field that I mean it's a amazingly poor free luck last year for the Giants all of those reasons are why I think not just 2020, but also looking forward, Daniel Jones has a straight, uh, he's, he's pretty much as, you know, I'd say for has some obvious limitations right now. You can see a very clear path to being a fantasy superstar. Awesome. Mitch, that timing earlier today too, it had to be less than an hour after you tweeted. Oh, it was. Daniel Jones is the quarterback that's going to take the next step for dynasty purposes. Boom. Nate Solder holds <laughs> out. Now this next one and, and field, I want to tell you my, Oh, 
Dan's throwing a yellow flag here. Dan's throwing the flag. I, I got to throw the penalty flag on you, JB. You got to at least ask the Cowboys fan a little something about the Giants here. You know, the, from a dynasty perspective, I'm not concerned. But the parity of the NFL, guys, we saw Kansas City lose a, a lineman last week, you know, opting out for personal reasons. We see it now with the Giants. It is so hard to compete in the National Football League and go for a division. Now you lose one lineman. You're already relying on a lot of things going right over the course of a season. I think where I worry about these moves that I don't think is getting talked about enough is the depth. You know, you lose one now. I mean, we haven't even started practicing yet. What happens if someone else goes down? Is there a little trickle-down effect? So that is what I would just watch out for as we move along, if more guys opt out or when injuries happen. Field, I'll, pick up, I'll pick up my flag now. Field, any additional concern there? Dan brings up the depth, which obviously is going to be really important here during this 2020 season. Yeah, it, it's across the NFL, right? So guys like Devontae Freeman have been sitting around unemployed for March, would be four months ago, right? And as saying, like, you know, I think people would have said, hey, hey, take a deal in Philadelphia or don't, don't worry about getting too much money. Philadelphia, Tampa Bay, Seattle. But maybe in a month or less, to Dan's point, we've got three teams that are all of a sudden dealing with a uh, razor thin running back depth chart. So, um, this season, and this has been said across many platforms, across many different contexts as well, this is going to be a year unlike any other year ever. We've already seen it in baseball. We will see it starting tomorrow in the, in the NBA. We'll see it in the NHL starting on Saturday. We've seen it in all sports. So um, our piece of advice for redraft league, and I guess in dynasty leagues as well this year, is like if, if you don't, and I, dynasty typically has a larger bench, but if you play in a league that has a relatively tight bench, this is the year to sort of loosen the reins a little bit and maybe add a spot or two because you're, there, there might be a week where you're picking up somebody on the waiver wire that because of news that happened late Saturday night, and that might happen quite a bit. So it's going to be a unique challenge to keep that depth uh, stocked and plenished uh, during the season. My one redraft league, it's a home league. So I have family members and friends and it's like playing fantasy in the stone ages, trying to change anything. Holy cow. I tried to drop the kickers in defense. You would have thought I asked for their kidney. That was a quick no. So I told them, listen, this year we're adding additional bench spots and I'm not taking no for an answer. So I'm really glad that you brought that up field, but I, I have one additional question for you because we talked about this in our dynasty theory listener league chat. Every year we see, especially as the season goes on, and we saw it with the Rams with C.J. Anderson, there might be an issue as the season progresses, and these teams, they need a running back for a week, and they pick up some random running back that was on, you know, unemployed. How do we think this season's going to impact that? Do, they're going to have to go through the quarantine and the protocols. I, I think that could play an impact as the season progresses. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. So let's say that the season does begin. Uh, and a guy, I'll, I'll just keep using Devontae Freeman just because he's the most notable unsigned running back. And by week three, he's a starter or, or even a depth piece. And they're going to consider adding Devontae Freeman on Thursday. Game is on Sunday. I think that's a really interesting question about, like, what, what does it mean? Like, is he going to be able to, let's say, fly? I don't know where Devontae lives during the offseason. I think he's from Florida, so I'd assume maybe in Florida. But let's say that the, uh, the Seahawks call him and say, we, we want you to come play on Sunday. Like, I don't know what the acclimation period is for Devontae Freeman. Is he going to have to show up somewhere and wait for five or six days? Or how is that all going to work? So um, 
I don't think the NFL will concede this, but I do believe this is true because I've seen it in every other sports league. Some of what is going to happen this year is going to be people figuring it out as things go, right? So I do think that that applies to the leagues and how players are and how they're sort of legislating things. I think we are going to be the same way as consumers and fantasy football players is that we might be figuring this thing out as we go along as well. No, that's a that's a great point. I, just like we've seen with so many leagues already, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, they all have their individual and particular issues, but they're figuring out as they go. I want to transition here because we spent a lot of time there on Nate Solder and just the overall idea of how the season's going to look. But the hot button topic today, if you go on Twitter, everybody has an opinion. Damian Williams. Field, what are your overall thoughts here? I mean, obviously... It's no surprise. This is a huge boost to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's redraft value. Yeah, totally for redraft. And I know uh, we'll be more dynasty focused here because I did a poor job of making my thoughts as, as dynasty driven in the first portion of this discussion. But I thought Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was, uh, you know, there's a case, there was a case for him as clear cut number one dynasty asset, you know, pending league format uh, amongst all rookies this year. Now, typically that, that spot may be reserved not for a guy who goes 32 overall amongst running backs, but maybe one of those highly touted receivers, and there are certainly many of them. Um, but Clyde Edwards-Elair, I mean, just from a, from a dynasty perspective, feels like the far and away choice is the number one player in this year's class. If, if you haven't yet had your draft, I think you got to feel pretty good about locking him in right away. And, you know, as much as things can change in a moment's notice for a running back or for any team, doesn't it kind of feel like with Patrick Mahomes locked up for 12 more seasons that assuming you project Clyde Edwards-Elair to be a simile of what he was in college, I think you're talking about maybe the start of like a six to eight year run as a top 10 running back in the NFL for fantasy purposes. I think, you know, specific to 2020, he'll be drafted as a top 10 player at the position, I think, without question now. I think that's how much belief there is in the Chiefs, and there's pretty good reason, right? I mean, it's the most explosive offense in the NFL. Dan, I'm going to bounce something over to you in a minute, but I have one follow-up question for Field. And Mitch and I, we battled over this. I was on Team Jonathan Taylor, and Mitch, he tells me all the time, it's CEH. I assume that you were on board there with CEH over Jonathan Taylor if you were taking part in a rookie draft. Yes, I, I was, but I understood. I mean, I could understand the the Jonathan Taylor love prior to this uh, conversation, which uh, you know I think just the idea that there was a clearer path to what feels like a workhorse role, right? Um, also, so both players fit with the respective teams that drafted them kind of perfectly. Jonathan Taylor, the best runner in this past year's class, played behind a great offensive line at Wisconsin, is going to play behind a great offensive line in Indianapolis, Marlon Max, a year away from free agency. The stars aligned there. But Clyde Edwards-Elair, I mean, the perfect running back to play opposite, or not opposite, but next to Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, I love this fact, and I've used it like 35 times now, so might as well make it 36. Think about all the amazing running backs that played in the SEC. Not just guys that are workhorse powerbacks like Derrick Henry or Mark Ingram, but guys like Alvin Kamara, incredible pass-catching running back. And think about dating back further and further and further, the great, great running backs. You know, Emmitt Smith, and you know, we've seen incredible running backs. Just If you just isolated Georgia's running backs, Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle and you name it, the only one 
in the conference's history to ever have a thousand rushing yards and 50 catches in the same season is Clyde Edwards-Elaire. Like that tells you just how, how special of a talent he is. And that offense, I mean, it, it's it's a match made in heaven. Dan, this is the question I had for you earlier in the offseason. We put together our rookie rankings as the Dynasty Theory team. And Dan was the only one. And, and Field, just so you know, we strictly in Dynasty Leagues, we play super flex. You know, obviously, you're, the quarterback value is inflated. Love and it. Dan, you, you came in and you had, I think, Joe Burrow as your 101. Based on what we found out today and what we've seen throughout the offseason, are you, are you changing that at all right here, July 29th? Would you move CEH to your 101 in Superflex rookie drafts? Yeah, you have to. The opportunity is just tremendous that they're now in that Kansas City backfield with him as a clear number one. Uh, you know, again, there's something situation specific. I love what Joe Burrow could do in Cincinnati. There's talent around him. But guys, you know, a couple of thoughts came to my mind today. Feel these two guys here on this podcast were Damian Williams truthers all last year. And when these guys go hard, they go big, and that's the only way. So they have a pretty big reputation out there in Twitter universe for Damian Williams. So I kind of felt bad today, you know, because they were starting to get a little Damian Williams hope there again. But guys, Darwin Thompson, you know, Field mentioned those deep dynasty <laughs> rosters. There is hope again for my deep, deep Darwin Thompson stash. And uh, DeAndre Washington even flashed a little bit when given opportunities with the Raiders. So, you know, there is still a little bit of a rookie learning curve, I would think. And, you know, it's a physical position. So you got to keep an eye on those guys as well. Dan, as soon as you brought up Darwin Thompson, Mitch came off of mute. I mean, he's definitely worth having on your teams now to where previously he would be pretty far down my list. But now, yeah, in Dynasty, you definitely want to have those back-end players this year. Just remember, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy had enough faith to give him the ball on the goal line in the Super Bowl. So there's something there. And there's going to be an opportunity to get some carries. Field, is there any hope? For Darwin Thompson, maybe you maybe you can pock some sense into Dan over here. You know, Dan, I love you, and I want you to be right on this. But so I'm just looking backwards here for a second, right? So we hear all this positivity about Darwin Thompson out of uh, preseason last year, which that happens to every year. There's going to be a handful of players that we're going to overestimate the value on. But Labor Day weekend comes around last year, and the Chiefs sign Lashawn McCoy. And then beyond that, they uh, during the year, um, they brought back Spencer Ware at one point last year, right? Like, mm -hmm. unless I'm confusing years, which is definitely possible, but I think there was a time where Spencer Ware was brought back temporarily last year, maybe in the year before, but I digress. Um, beyond that, so we kept wanting to make Darwin Thompson happen, and it just never happened. And then they draft the first round running back when they had just had this marvelous performance from Damian Williams in the Super Bowl. So I'm with you. Like he is a must roster now, but I'm not bullish on him um, ever becoming a consistent fantasy value absent injuries uh, to multiple backs in that backfield. Well said, Field. I might just have a little recency bias from the Super Bowl, but well said. Recency bias because of that one carry, right, Dan? McCoy was in street clothes, guys. That's pretty uh, <laughs> confident there to put a, put him in there and give him the ball on the goal line versus the Niners D line and uh, McCoy's in street clothes. But but I, I do get Field's point. I mean, I, yeah. I'm not I'm not bullish on Darwin Thompson. I just think he's a nice nice roster stash. And what Field just said about yep. Darwin, that's the equivalent of a mic drop, Dan. So <laughs> let's move on here. 
there have been so many changes here. You know, the the NFLPA and the owners, it seems, you know, they come to an agreement. There's going to be the change in the cap field. I want to talk about some potential uh, uh, cut casualties here. So some cut candidates, because in the dynasty community, staying ahead of that curve is so important for changing values. So throw a few names at us that concern you here in 2020, and then this trickle-down effect for the salary cap in 2021. Yeah, so hopefully I, I'm okay. You're okay with me just sort of going the list that you and I exchanged. Um, yep. And and there, there was no order to this. Um, there was no sort of – it's not like I think these guys are most likely to get cut. I was just going running back, wide receiver, tight end, and just sort of just, just develop some names. So um, Le'Veon Bell, probably one of the most obvious candidates. Uh, is a potential cut in 2021, uh, and I should say that too. Is that a lot? It's very. There are not many players that I'm ex- expecting to be cut right now because um, I think they would have been cut already if the team was planning on cutting them right now, uh, or cutting them at some point during this off season. So Le'Veon Bell, a guy that I have my eyes on. The Jets have a lot less flexibility to get out of the deal deal right now. Uh, they have a lot more flexibility to get out of the deal after this year. Uh, they did draft Michael P. Ryan in the fourth round, but. You know, a previous regime signed Le'Veon Bell, um, although he has sort of earned some currency and Jets faithful in recent uh, days with uh, his comments about Jamal Adams. I think Le'Veon uh, is going to have an uphill battle to stick with the Jets in 2021. Um, another guy that I'm actually fairly optimistic on, more so than I think the consensus and redraft for 2020, is David Johnson. Um, but again, sort of just do the math here. Uh, one more year after this, on a three-year, $39 million extension if, and this is, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, if he does not meet uh, expectations the Texans have for him this year, then remember, they got to pay Deshaun Watson, and they're going to have to pay some other guys soon. J.J. Watt is potentially an extension candidate at some point. They've got some other pieces on offense that I think are intriguing to them. So David Johnson's a name to keep an eye on. And then this one, Mark Ingram, who will be two to a three-year contract after this season. You know, this is probably less reflective of the player because Mark Ingram was incredible last year and, and almost like non-sustainably or unsustainably efficient. But that backfield's loaded now. I mean, they J.K. Dobbins fell into their lap. You know, they're a year removed from using a front pick on Justice Hill. And Gus Edwards has been, a, you know, a, a productive player for them. He's a limited player, but still, he's a good downhill runner that Mark Ingram may just have to be the odd man out because, as I was just saying, you know, the Texans got to pay Deshaun Watson. Well, a year from now, Lamar Jackson is eligible for a deal. And if Lamar Jackson follows in the footsteps of Patrick Mahomes and follows the MVP year with a Super Bowl winning year, well, then he's going to get himself a deal that looks like Patrick Mahomes. And while the Chiefs were able to structure it brilliantly in a way that they didn't have to worry too much about the short-term cap implications, uh, the Ravens may not choose to go that way or Lamar may not be interested in the 10-year deal. So Mark Ingram is another name that I'm keeping an eye on amongst running backs. Um, you want me to just keep rolling here with wide receivers? Do you want me to, you, do you, anybody want to chime in there for any of those thoughts? Yeah, let's jump in at the running backs real quick. And I, I think all three of these, they're fantastic uh, uh, players to bring up here because this running back landscape, it's constantly changing, especially with the influx of talent yeah. here in 2020. And then what we're going to see in 2021 as well. But Mitch Bell, David Johnson, Mark mm-hmm. Ingram, if I said which one of these players, let's say all three of them are cut, like Field expects, or you know, there's a likely chance that all three get cut. 
who do you think could land somewhere and be fantasy relevant in 2021, assuming all different teams? I'd say Le'Veon Bell, just because health-wise, he's usually been pretty good. You know, he had the MCL injury three or four years ago, whenever it was. But since then, he's stayed healthy. So I think he has the best shot moving forward. But I think the one guy on this list that might end up staying on the team next year is just David Johnson, just by some hope that he actually performs. I mean, they gave Carlos Hyde how many carries last year. And if David Johnson can stay healthy. Too many. The answer was too many. Exactly. Yeah. And so, no, I love all these guys. Mark Ingram, I think, is definitely going to be cut next year, too. It's just odd man out at that point. Dan, do you have any thoughts here on these three running backs? Yeah, just quick thoughts. Uh, David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. I think there's a small dynasty window for their value to increase if everything goes right. I agree with Mitch. Most likely with David Johnson. I'm really intrigued to see what that Texans offense does this year. You know, I've talked about him in past shows of kind of being a boomer bust offense. I'm really concerned about all their skill position guys not staying healthy. But in diving into my O-line studies a little bit more this week, the Texans O-line might be a little bit more improved than I thought they were. And if that's the case, and maybe Watson could have a magical year and the stars are aligned and those skill guys could stay healthy somehow, Cooks, Fuller, David Johnson, just maybe David Johnson finds the fountain of youth. Le'Veon Bell, you know, you have the Adam Gase factor, and that O-line I think still has a lot more question marks. And then Mark Ingram for me, that that dynasty value is dwindling by the minute. I think it's this year that is the last window we have for Ingram on our rosters. And I'm kind of excited feel that you included Mark Ingram on this list because he's been talked about and and we've talked about him on the show constantly. And maybe it's just me being overly optimistic because I really like JK Dobbins. I actually on uh, one of the websites, I was looking at autographed jerseys and I'm thinking JK Dobbins, Ohio state Jersey would look really nice <laughs> right there, right there. But let's say Mark Ingram is cut going into 2021 and I've made this claim, and let me know if you think I'm off my rocker field. I said that J.K. Dobbins could be a top three dynasty running back going into the 2022 season. Do you think there's any possibility of that? Or am I just like, going, am I too crazy there? So You could say he's too crazy. Or going into 2021? Going into 2022. Um, so the two-year outlook here. Two-year outlook. Okay. I don't think it's definitely the craziest thing I've heard. I just have a – I would probably think the guys that I feel – secure about right now Christian McCaffrey still feel good about him Saquon Barkley still feel good about him Dalvin Cook still feel good about him Alvin Kamara still feel good about him provided he stays in New Orleans it's not the craziest thing um but you could because you know it'll be fresh legs right he'll be younger than those all those players um not the craziest thing I think it's probably a little bit too rich for my blood but I could see like maybe like top seven or eight going into 2022 all right, well, based on that comment, I'm going to hold off on the jersey for now. I can't risk that on this wall. I can't do it. Dan, you have a timeout here. What do you, what do you want, Dan? Quick timeout. Maybe Field could help me here. John, you see him on the screen there. He's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan there, Field. Pittsburgh Steelers. He's got a Michael yeah. Gallup, a Kenny Galladay, and a Devontae Adams jersey. If that's not bad enough, he just talked about getting a division rival. No Steelers fan would ever have a Ravens jersey on their wall, John. Like I, I think you need to pick a new team. There's got to be some loyalty, right, Field? As fantasy loyal as he always says he is, I'm disturbed I, by his I got to tell you, I sort of appreciate the fantasy. I kind of actually appreciate the fantasy loyalty. Because, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm sure there you, you love when the Steelers are playing. But, like, you know, I'm thinking back to, like, that Steelers-Bills game on Sunday night last year. Part of me wonders, like, you know, hey, the Steelers ended up losing that game. But, I think. But 
maybe you had Devin Singletary on your fantasy roster. And you're like, it's okay. I can survive this day. I can go to bed peace on this Sunday night. So I don't, I don't actually hate it. I kind of like the fantasy loyalty. <laughs> Dan, I always say my fantasy teams are more important than any team in the NFL. And I just walked into the closet over there. And I do have an autographed Jerome Bettis helmet. I do. In the closet. Keywords there. That's where it was. In the closet. Ooh. Your Steelers memorabilia is in the closet. I still have it, though. <laughs> anyway, I, I love those three running backs because I, I think all three of us agree with you, Field. They are top cut candidates. And you had an interesting list of wide receivers here where they're really maybe not the fantasy implications for them, but the fantasy implications and dynasty implications for the receivers that would be remaining on those teams. So why don't you go through that list? Totally. Yeah, let's start with Alshon Jeffrey. I think Eagles fans were already ready for him to be cut this year. But financially, when the Eagles redid his contract last season, they guaranteed his 2020 pay. So really, it wouldn't make such, didn't make much sense for the cap. And, and right now, the, the Eagles, and again, not that they had any foresight on this, not that they deserve any, um, you know, they're, I'm not trying to criticize them, uh, but they you know, certainly are going to miss not having Marquise Goodwin. You know, it feels like J.J. Ortega-Whiteside did not come around as expected last year in a second-round pick. But I think Alshon next year probably means, you know, more opportunity for Jalen Rager. We know the Deshaun Jackson situation, um, not necessarily over, but his incredibly insensitive comments and remarks uh, have caused, you know, some strife within that organization. So his future feels a little bit less uh, certain. So uh, I think Alshon Jeffrey could, and I guess by, by, by dint of that, also uh, Deshaun Jackson, the guy to keep an eye on. Uh, after this season. Uh, Tyra Williams is another interesting one for me, signed to a four-year, $44 million deal last offseason by the Raiders. Uh, now just one year into it, but uh, banged up last season, was very touchdown dependent, but was pretty touchdown prolific last year as well. They just drafted Henry Ruggs. Uh, they found a keeper, I think, and Hunter Renfro. Not that you can't have just three wide receivers. They also added Brian Edwards out of South Carolina in the third round. They added Lynn Bowden Jr. They're going to play at running back, but he's a former college wide receiver turned quarterback turned utility player in the NFL. So uh, they've got some investments there uh, in Las Vegas that I think uh, make Tyra Williams sort of an interesting um, guy to keep an eye on. Uh, Golden Tate uh, will be two years into a, four-year, $36 million deal. I was talking earlier about all the players that Daniel Jones did not have at his disposal last season. Well, uh, even if you took Golden Tate out of the equation, you're still talking about a wide receiver group of Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram, who is a tight end but has so many wide receiver-type skills. Pretty good talent there. And the last one is Adam Humphreys, who really had a disappointing last year uh, for the Titans. And again, not that he plays the same position as A.J. Brown, uh, and Corey Davis is going to be a free agent. But there's one thing that those of us who love uh, A.J. Brown uh, want more of, which, and by the way, we all love A.J. Brown, um, is we just want him to be the unquestioned target king in that offense. Um, the running game is not a big part, or the running back, specifically Derrick Henry, not a huge part of the passing game there. So A.J. Brown could be one of those receivers that we are eventually talking about in the, you know, 150 to 170 target per season range every year if a couple of things shake out and Adam Humphreys uh you know at, at I think it's eight and a half nine and a half million dollars per season and feels like a lot of money for a guy that last year was you know just simply not uh productive enough to merit a um 
you know, I would say to merit a, a $9.5 million salary annually, the Titans have to think about that one going forward. Dan, with those four receivers, let's say, again, just like I asked Mitch with the running backs, let's say all four of those receivers are cut going into the 2021 season. Does that leave the door open now to potentially go out and buy any of the remaining receivers at a slight discount before we see that bump? Or is there really no, there's not going to be any fluctuation there if any of these receivers got cut? What are your thoughts there? I don't see much fluctuation. Field made me feel better about my fantasy teams tonight. As we look at these running backs and receivers, I have zero or minimal shares of any of them. Um, you know, Alshon Jeffrey, you know, I think Mike Clay no noted in a previous episode, there's some kind of hidden value this year if he could get healthy, you know, in following the Eagles situation. Tyrell the Gazelle, he needs to find his health and reestablish himself. Golden Tate, you know, my, I guess my age di discrimination continues as he's 31. You know, he's kind of like a win-now depth piece maybe at best. Adam Humphreys, maybe of all of them, a little sneaky PPR value, but I just don't know if there's enough targets there with A.J. Brown, as Field mentions, and the volume that Henry gets, and I think John who's on the rise. So I think they're easy to get, J.B., and I don't think no matter what their situation is, they're not much more than a, a bench stash. Field, I have one follow-up question before we move on. And again, it seems like, Mitch, I thought that you and I always agree on stuff, but the mm -hmm. more we talk to our guests, the more I realize that you and I butt heads. Field, I, you, you talk some sense into Dan about Darwin Thompson. <laughs> I want you to talk some sense into Mitch about Hunter Renfro because it seems like you might have some hope for him still. Yeah, so, I, I'm, so when you say I have hope for him still is the counterpoint that, Based off what we saw last year, Mitch, you I'm assuming my guess of your thoughts on Renfro are that a nice player, solid mm -hmm. value in the fifth round. This is like a low ceiling player in fantasy. Is that sort of is that your your general take on Hunter Renfro? Exactly that. And then the rookies coming in, you know, normal offseason, I'd be a lot higher on them playing over Renfro. Like I really like Edwards. I think he's going to be a stud. So I was thinking he would, you know, be on the field a little bit more than Renfro, but yeah, that's my, you know, general take on it. Gotcha. Yeah. Which I understand because I, I don't think that Hunter Renfro, and I feel like I get a little bit too dependent upon terms like this, but like there's no league winning value in Hunter Renfro, right? Like he's he'll probably never crack my top I don't know, 30 dynasty wide receivers. Maybe he will with some great production. But I would say that there are higher upside and longer term plays than Hunter Renfro. So I get that. I just, you know, I just think in the Hunter Renfro value may be, or, you know, his production and how much the team believes in him may impact Tyra Williams' status as opposed to the other way around, if that makes sense. One thing I was going to add on all these wide receivers is in Dynasty, we always see when a wide receiver is going to become a free agent, they see that little value bump. And all of these guys have seen the value bump. And now we see two or three years later, they didn't work out for the team. And now their value is just diving at this point. So the one thing I was going to tell, I completely agree with all of these guys, is when you see that value bump on new wide receivers that aren't, you know, Odell Beckham elite going to a new team, that is the time to trade them and try to get someone else that's maybe a little bit younger and a little bit less proven because a lot of times these guys just don't end up working out on the new team as much as, you know, we hope they do and how much we value them on that new team. When Tyrell Williams was entering free agency, sure. there were talks about him really getting a great landing spot. People were talking about moving a late 20 or uh, what year was that going into 2019, 2018? 
2018. 20, 21st. Yeah. So, so moving a late first or an early second. And I actually saw some of those deals get done. And then he goes to the Raiders and instantly that perceived value just plummets. Mm-hmm. So again, I feel you don't need us to tell you that these players, I, I think that's a really solid list. Now I have three players that I wanted to run by you because it's talked about within the fantasy and dynasty community constantly. And the first one, because of the emergence and how comfortable it seems like the Eagles are with Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz. Do you think there's any chance based on the salary cap situation that maybe they move on from him? Not 2020, but maybe going into 2021? I'm going no. And here's the reason why. Is that I think that Zach Ertz has actually become underrated as a player, right? Like, sometimes I feel like what happens with, uh, and I understand that, like, his stats not totally robust, right? Um, it just feels to me, compared to where they were two years ago when he broke Jason Winton's record uh, for touchdown, um, tight end catches in a single season. But I think Zach Ertz is, like, fabric, like, just a huge part of the DNA of the Eagles. So I'm optimistic he will continue to be a part. Like, it actually wouldn't surprise me, guys if he got an extension as opposed to being a guy that gets cut. So in tight end premium leagues, Mitch and Dan, you and I take part in so many of those safe leagues with the two PPR. You know what that sounds like? Maybe he could be a buy. People want to so. get rid of yeah. him. So I think, and now a field, if they don't extend him and we go out and buy him for our dynasty teams, you're going to hear from us because we're going to blame <laughs> you. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, my apologies there. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, not, not my best work here. So I do apologize, but yeah, but I'm just, I'm, I think I'm just, I'm, I'm an appreciation guy of Zach Ertz. I think he sort of is all the, um, yeah, he just got too much ability. He's too important to their team. He's too much of a security blanket for Carson Wentz, um, too respected, homegrown. And I think that the Eagles are saying rather than, hey, Dallas Goddard can replace Zach Ertz, is that like the two of them together might form the best tight end duo in the NFL for the next, let's say, like five or 10 years. Right. And I, I think that's very, very possible. Uh, two quarterbacks I want to run through. I'm, I'm looking at the time here and we don't want to keep you too long. But Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo, the, the, the names have been popping up every once in a while. There have been some reports and speculation. Hey, maybe they move on from, you know, I think Garoppolo is more of a rumor at this point. But Derek Carr, there have been some conversations, it seems like, that after 2020, maybe they move on. So what are your thoughts there from a longer term perspective for those two players? Yeah, so I think that with quarterbacks, it's interesting, right? Because so not only do we have the depth uh, at the position, but also like I feel like sometimes the target sort of moves a little bit for how teams are uh, sort of evaluating the value in some of these players, right? So like Derek Carr, for example, a guy that feels like at their core – the Raiders probably want to upgrade on, right? Doesn't that, I feel like we all kind of feel the same way, mm-hmm. right? Um, at the same time, like the opportunity has to be right. Like, I feel like this off season, they just didn't necessarily get a, you know, the perfect um, opportunity to move on from Derek Carr. So I do believe that, uh, you know, just sort of evaluating where uh, Derek Carr's value is, is probably somewhat dependent upon things shake out with, uh, you know, just who their chances are to draft or sign next year. So harder for me to have a great feeling, but I think like probably like a player that just in general is the investment in in Dynasty. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm kind of the same way, right? I mean, like 
certainly he is a useful player in that offense and played really well last year. But what do you guys feel like is the ceiling for Jimmy Garoppolo as a player in that San Francisco offense? Because, you know, I don't look at it as a top five fantasy quarterback asset. Does that make sense? Yep. So, like I said, we play a lot of super flex, primarily only super flex. I think he's a, a perfect, safe. Totally. I like it. Two that's going to be in that super flex spot. Like quarterback 16 to 18 range, probably right there. That's probably fair. And I and you're right. In the super flex, and you know, we've got a fun league that's now we're they're only in year two, but it's a bunch of ESPNers. And it is a super flex league as well. And we were having the, the Clyde Edwards Elaire versus uh, you know Joe Burrow conversation earlier. Uh, Joe Burrow did actually go number one in our league. It happened to be somebody who was struggling with his quarterback position at the time. So I do think there is something interesting uh, about the quarterback and how this, um, you know, sort of how things sort of are, are changed or valued in a super flex league. But maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is sort of a, you know, that, that he probably is sort of a reasonable somewhere between like 16 to 25, um, you know, quarterback asset who has inflated value uh, if you do play in a super flex league. Dan, do you have anything additional here on the two quarterbacks before we move on? I think that was a great way to finish the player list. There are two guys that you know in our super flex format. Love having one of those elite quarterbacks, but these are two guys more Garoppolo than Carr. You know, Carr, I'm very cautiously optimistic. You know, I would like the Raiders to make me feel a little bit better about that. But as his age 29 seasons here, and if the if the rookie development is there and things fall his way, he could produce some nice numbers for the Raiders. But Garoppolo, I'm more confident in, you know, age 28. I think he's entering his prime right now, and he has a vote of conference from the 49ers organization, an NFC championship organization that's around him. So I definitely have some shares there. And as my number two quarterback in a super flex league, I'd be excited to have him. And we'll see how that plays out, especially that offense where maybe he's not really asked to do all that much. Mm -hmm. Now, Field, before we wrap up the show, I'm putting you through the Dynasty Theory rapid fire. Every year you put out an article and it is second year breakout candidates. We're going to go one year further here. Third year breakout. I'm going to give you a player comparison. I just want you to tell me who you think is more likely to break out in 2020. And you can also say neither if you just think, hey, I don't like either of these guys. So first up, quarterback position, Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold? Baker Mayfield. The weapons are just so superior to break out right now. All right. Sony Michelle or Ronald Jones? Uh, I'm going to go with Ronald Jones. I just, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not wild about either player, but the Bucks offense seems to have opportunities um, to, you know, score short, t- to poach touchdowns. And um, I do think there's just more explosive plays from Ronald Jones than Sony Michelle. Cortland Sutton or Christian Kirk? Well, I actually love both those players. I'll go with Cortland Sutton. I just think he's got a better chance to dominate targets, even though they have an excellent wide receiver group. I think that, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is a vacuum. And Christian Kirk's going to have to deal with that. Plus, Larry Fitz is 100 targets. Uh, plus, Kenyon Drake's probably 85 targets. So, uh, I'll go with, uh, in this case, Cortland Sutton. All right. And then last one, we're going to the tight end position. Hayden Hurst or Mike Gesicki? I'll go with Hayden Hurst. Uh, I just think that, uh, and I know it's like it's another one of those like trendy things is him as a sleeper tight end this year. But a really higher field target, uh, not going to be a focal point for any team uh, next year. So I think that whereas 
you know, there's a chance that, uh, you know, Gasicki, if, if he's sort of one Devontae Parker injury away from being the go-to guy in Miami. So I think Hayden Hurst is a more comfortable sort of properly slotted spot in, in Atlanta. Okay. Um, I, I think we were good there until you said Cortland Sutton over Christian Kirk, and we made it 46 minutes in. I thought we were going to be, you know, good friends here, but I don't know, Field. I, I don't know about that one. <laughs> but before we sign off, when we had Stefania Bell on the show, we put her on the spot and okay. we said, hey, we're going to have Field on the show. Give us a question to ask him that you think our listeners might like. So I'm going to give you a choice because Alrighty. she gave us two different things. <laughs> she said he got a brand new puppy. He loves to talk about the puppy. So you could yeah. you could talk about that or explain, you know, the, the backstory to dressing up as Gardner Minshew. Yeah, so uh, the puppy has been amazing. I can't even call him a puppy anymore. He's so big. It's a golden retriever. His name is Cisco. He's probably 50 pounds now. He's growing uh, like a plant. He is huge. Uh, he thinks he's a puppy because he wants to sleep uh, in bed with my wife and I uh, every day, which uh, we can't quite allow. Um, but he's a great dog. Uh, we've loved having him around. Uh, he does not love the heat that is uh, sweeping through really the entire country, but New England in the summer. Um, and Gardner Minshew, I thought it was a great Halloween costume personally. And I kind of went after it. I got the jersey, the mustache, about the hammer in. I got a Jaguars headband, the aviators. Although I did find that a lot of people found that my legs are too hairy for their preference. And I never realized I had hairy legs until I posted a picture of my legs, or I guess my entire body on Twitter. And I thought the headline was my costume of Gardner Minshew. It said it turned out that uh, my legs are apparently uh, disproportionately hairy compared to most people. So lesson learned there. Don't post a picture of yourself on Twitter. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Field, I don't know if you noticed, but on the bottom of the show here, on the bottom of the, the screen scrolling, uh, we are sponsored by Manscaped. So if you ever need Manscaped, a hookup yeah. there, if you ever need a hookup, use code theory 20. And then if you want to be Gardner Minshew in the future, I don't think anybody's going to have an issue then. You know what? I think I might have my plans for the rest of the evening. I'm going to go to manscaped.com, <laughs> get myself taken care of. And next thing I know, I'm not going to be laughed at on Twitter and face the retribution that so uh, earnestly bothered me last year. <laughs> there you go. I, I think we have a good plan there. Field, again, thank you so much for joining us in, in a hotel of all places. We are beyond appreciative. And I say this with every single guest because we keep getting the best guests but as if our listeners don't know, let them know where to find you on social media and anything you might be working on over there at ESPN throughout the rest of the offseason. I always tell people I sort of just funnel things through my social media and I keep them all at, at Field Yates. You know, I, I, I feel like that's the easiest way to go about it. So I'm trying to stay busy. Hopefully you find me there or find me somewhere listening, watching, reading, etc. And uh, most importantly, I appreciate you guys having me on. This is a lot of fun. Love the flap gums and uh, talk dynasty and uh, anytime you guys need a repeat guest uh, you can call me um, and if you just want to have some fun talking about Matthew and Stefania I'm also game for that awesome <laughs> really we're, thank we're, you so much we're gonna take you up on that and before we sign off Dan don't worry here it comes final thoughts and Dan I'm not gonna make you wait since you weren't on the show last night what are your final thoughts for the listeners I always get nervous he's gonna skip this segment field because i always have some good final takes but tonight man we're just you know mad props to you 
yourself, Starfania, Mike Clay. Uh, you guys are just blessed, man. An awesome team you have there. Great people, great analysts. Thank you for giving us your time tonight, man. Anytime, guys. I really appreciate that. And uh, I, the words are very kind. And I feel very fortunate to work on a great team with uh, some awesome teammates. Mm-hmm. And then, Mitch, over to you. What do yeah. you have? I just want to thank Phil again. And then one thing I talked about on Twitter a little bit earlier today, but don't join any startups for two weeks. Like, we don't know what's going to happen the next two weeks. So in Dynasty, there's no point in joining a league you're going to be with for 10 years when everything can change in the next week. Just wait a couple of weeks and everything will be sort of clear and then go on that. Even redraft, I'm pushing that off as long as possible until there's more clarity on what's going on. But again, Field, thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Dynasty Theory FF. Be safe, be kind to each other, and have a great night. <laughs>